has given Inter-Miami four on the year, and this one came under pretty challenging circumstances. Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of Miami Total Football Radio, alias Miami Total Football Radio. Hey, that was actually pretty good, Steve. That was pretty good teamwork there. So Gracias, that, <laughs> that voice you heard, of course, is of my co-host Steve El Primo Brenner, and I am Franco Panizo, the other half of the team that is leading this podcast, your number one source for all Inter-Miami news, analysis, opinions, and more. If you're new to the podcast, please give us a follow on all our social media channels. That is Miami Total Football on YouTube and Facebook, and at MIA Total Football on Instagram and Twitter. We post different type of content on each platform, so give us a follow, especially since we'll be doing some giveaways this week. There'll be more on that later, but also don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, and please leave us a review and rating. It helps us tremendously. Enough with all that. Steve, Primo, how are you doing on this fine Monday evening in South Florida? Good. The uh, temperature's rising for sure, uh, as I'm sure everyone is, is well aware. But um, I think looking back at the weekend, a good you know a good point on the road. We're going to get to it, and more importantly, when I was on my friend's son's first birthday party, party I bumped in into uh, Inter Miami fan Dave David Stelnick, who I've met before, and he said he's a big fan of the pod and he even likes you. So you <laughs> I think he'd only had one beer at a time, so. I think he was talking sense, but he was, and he, he, yeah, it's just good to meet, good to meet fans out and about, and you know, I've, I've met him before anyway, but uh, yeah, we're having a good old chat about everything, and you know, fans are just keen to get going. He was talking about a potential problem with difficulties getting the ticket office and tickets sorted out properly, but I'm sure that will work out, and um, yeah, you know, it's good to know people are out there. Yeah, no, I mean, look, we touched on the, t- the tickets a few pods ago, and at least for the initial process for this season, so. Hopefully that gets squared away for the remaining games because they're fast approaching. That May 29th game where they want to have 16,000 in-house, that's around the corner. We're in May now. So, yeah, no, it's good, it's good to hear that you, you ran into into a fan. I hope you were well-groomed and, you know, you looked the part because you got to carry the Miami Total Football Radio emblem and crest uh, high. I was in full Miami tracksuit hat. <laughs> Uh, Pellegrini on the back. Uh, yeah, I look really cool. My wife is delighted. That's nice. really Okay, well, for those listening, of course, we're going to dissect, analyze, and discuss this weekend's 0 0 draw against Nashville SC. A very hard fought and well earned point for Inter Miami, all things considered. We'll also preview this weekend's game against Atlanta United back at home at Drive Pink Stadium. And, of course, we will answer your questions in our Q&A session at the end of the pod. We have some questions that came in even after the fact last week, so we'll try to get to some of those as well because they were trickling in. Steve, remember last week I told you they kept raining in, and they rained in even after we stopped recording, so try to get to some of those. Also, really quickly, we're going to be doing giveaways, as I mentioned a little bit ago, on Miami Total Football's social channels, mostly on the Instagram page, so give us a follow there. We're going to be giving away at least one jersey. We also got our hands on some of those very exclusive pink shorts that Inter-Miami wore last year at the start of their expansion season, and they wore against LAFC and DC United. So if you want a pair of those or you want to be in the hunt for a pair of those, follow us there. But enough of all that, Steve. Let's get to it. Okay, Primo. So Inter-Miami went on the road. With a short-handed team, a depleted roster, 
But they went into Nissan Stadium in Nashville, Tennessee on Sunday afternoon and they grabbed a point with a 0-0 draw, a goalless draw. There were some chances over the course of the 90 minutes, but it was a rather cagey affair, a bit choppy, quite a bit of fouls. But for Inter-Miami, they'll take it because they were missing a bunch of players, including, as I had reported earlier in the week or last week now, for SBISoccer.com, Gonzalo and Federico Higuain would miss the game, obviously due to them traveling home for because of the recent passing of their mother. So they both were unavailable. They weren't the only ones, though. Julian Carranza missed the game with a non-COVID-related illness that he was dealing with. Robbie Robinson did not start the game because of the pulled hamstring he suffered or the tweaked hamstring he suffered the week prior against the Philadelphia Union. He did play in this game. We'll talk about that later on. And Nicolas Figal was a late scratch for Inter-Miami in this one as well because of a, a hamstring that he tweaked or that he pulled during pregame warmups in Nashville. He was set to start. Had to be a late scratch. Kelvin Leardam started for him. So let's quickly go over the lineup. We know the score, but let's quickly go over the lineup for Inter-Miami. It was John McCarthy in goal. Kelvin Leardam at right back, replacing Nicolas Figal very late. Ryan Shawcross getting his first MLS and Inter-Miami start at right center back. Leandro Gonzalez-Pires next to him in that heart of the defense. On the left, at the left back spot, was Jovin Jones. Your two holding midfielders were Gregory, who was a little bit further back, and Blaise Matuidi a little further, a little more advanced than him. Lewis Morgan on the right. Victor Ulloa, who wore the captain's armband as the 10. Jay Chapman on the left. And Rodolfo Pizarro up top as a false 9. Rodolfo Pizarro made it back from Mexico. You know, Phil Neville had told us last week he was a major doubt because he was in Mexico trying to get his green card situation sorted out, but he made it to Nashville in time and was able to play in this game and start in this game, although he did not have the best performance. But, Steve, what were your biggest takeaways from this match? Well, I mean, you know, I think you made the point in your good uh, analytical piece on SBISoccer.com that um, defensively, you know, they were were really solid. I'm not going to... I don't want to be... People to think just because Ryan Shawcross is English, I think that he's, you know, I'm going to sort of shower him with praise every week. But I think you just saw, again, you know, in the previous match, he came on, he just steady thing in Philadelphia, and, and he was great. Obviously, you know, Gonzalez Perez kind of teamed up well, you know, w- with him. Um, so I think defensively, they were they were sound. And then, you know, the, the, the best chance was the Jay Chapman chance. It was, a, it was a really good save. You know, it just, just those little bits of luck, it would have gone either way. You know, they could have had an early goal and then it could have been a completely different match. But I think, you know, on the whole, for him, for Phil Neville to have got four points out of six is on the road is good. Um, you know, we, we talked about the fitness and or the lack of match practice before the season. And we were think, we, we focused a lot on how you know they wouldn't have the intensity and the conditioning to last. But also, unfortunately, it means you're going to pick up injuries. And now we're seeing that, you know, Figal went down, obviously, Robbie Robinson Lazarus recovery and then went down again. Um, so different little injuries just like flaring up, which again is symptomatic, I think, of the lack of, uh, you know, proper in inverted commas preparation. Yeah, they do say that muscular injuries, muscle injuries, tend to be due to fitness or when you ex- overexert yourself. So you know, it's not maybe surprising that we're starting to see some muscle injuries here for Inter Miami. It could just be coincidental as well, but. Given that they didn't have a proper preseason, they've kind of had to go full course or crash course into the regular season. Not entirely surprising that you're starting to see, at least in my opinion, some injuries. But 
I agree with you that the biggest takeaway for me was the defensive performance in this one. And not just in this one. It's just been over the course of the first three games. You take away that second half against the LA Galaxy away. The other five halves that they've played out of the six have been very solid defensively. They haven't given up a whole lot. And the other five halves, again, taking away that second half against LA Galaxy, they've given up one goal, and that was against the Philadelphia Union. Other than that, the back line has been very solid. And on that piece on SBISoccer.com, I included uh, an image with those lovely lines that you had mentioned a couple of weeks ago for the graphic. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, they're nice and red this week because I couldn't make them yellow since Nashville wears yellow. Um, But... It was just showing the defensive shape and how organized the team was and how they were able to really close down spaces in their defensive third and make things tough for Nashville SC. And that was over the course of the 90 minutes or much of the 90 minutes because Nashville SC had more of the ball in this one. Inter Miami still has not won a possession battle in any of the three games so far or in any game so far this season. But Inter Miami did a good job of closing down the spaces and not giving Nashville a whole lot of room to play through when Nashville had the ball. The most trouble Inter-Miami got into was in transition when Nashville was able to hit on a quick counterattack and find some find a little bit of extra space. The, the play with Heine Mukhtar comes to mind where I, I, I'm trying to remember who plays him the pass, but anyway, he, he makes a diagonal run and Blaise Matuidi's chasing him from behind because he didn't pick him up in time and he you know he gets in on goal but he shoots wide of, of the goal John McCarthy did a great job to come off his line and force and rush a shot there so kudos to John McCarthy on that but again overall on the whole for this one the defense was the biggest takeaway for me with your your boy Ryan Shawcross being the man of the match that he was my choice as man of the match fans voted him as man of the match and earlier today he was announced as a player on the MLS team of the week yeah, no, you know, it's all about organisation, isn't it? You know, they're, they're, all, they're maybe defending better as, as a unit. They're more organised. Everyone is sticking to their jobs. And, and like you say, when teams, I guess, hit, hit on the counter, that's probably where the lack of fitness will kick in. Big space, the game will get stretched. Uh, there'll be big spaces for opportunities to maybe go into just because players are tiring. Um, so, yeah, that kind of sort of adds up to the theory that about lack of fitness. But also on the, on the flip side, or the more positive side, is that they're maybe just better organised and maybe working together more as a team when maybe last season they weren't well organised and they just weren't maybe perhaps, you know, there were a few individuals who maybe, you know, were doing their own thing or whatever, but they just wasn't really like a collective. They just, uh, they seem to be better, far more organised this season, which so far, so, so, and so far so good. Look, and I give credit to the performances of Ryan Shawcross and Leon Gonzalez-Spides and the whole team because the team was shorthanded and obviously defending is a team aspect. It's not just the back line, although they do the bulk of the defending, but a whole team defended well. Thought Shawcross and Leandro gonzalez Pires and John McCarthy were probably Inter Miami's best players on the day. They had they got the highest player ratings in my player ratings piece for SBISoccer.com that you mentioned a little bit ago. But I have to give credit to Phil Neville as well because given the amount of absences that were on this team and everything that happened in the lead-up to this game, the impact... The emotional impact of the Iguain brothers losing their mother and how that influenced the team locker room, not having Rodolfo Pizarro for part of the week or most of the week in terms of training, Robbie Robinson not being able to start, just having all these things. And they still were able to pull out a result against the Nashville side that was at full strength. So 
Phil Neville has worked that defense very well, and you see the structure, you see the organization, you see the determination, and you see the the intelligent way in which the team defends now. Whereas last year, you saw, by and large, very disjointed performances from the group. So it's night and day difference. It's night and day difference. Now, it's obviously early in the year. Things can change, but right now, the early returns on the defense are, are very impressive, in my opinion. And... Theoretically, it should only get better, right? Once Kieran Gibbs arrives in the summer, once Nick Marsman arrives in the summer, you get another, you're going to get an upgrade at left back and goalkeeper, at least in theory. So things could only get better for this backline potentially. Yeah, and, and you know, you're talking the summer. How many more games are they going to have under their under their belt? You know, up to that point. So yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's, it's only his third game, and it's only they haven't played a lot together. It takes time. It takes time. It takes time to build a dynasty, I guess. But to start with, anyway, you've got to get your, your message across and make sure everyone takes it on board. So so far, yeah, so far, so far, so good. Now let's talk about the controversial play in this one. There was one very big controversial play, and that came in the 70th minute when Walker Zimmerman brings down Robbie Robinson, who was looking like he was about to break in on goal. After he pounced on a bad touch, a bad-headed touch from Walker Zimmerman. And he, he, I think he would have been in on goal. But Walker Zimmerman brings him down. And the referee pulls out a yellow card. And to remind me, players were not too happy about that. Because you saw how adamantly they got into the referee's face. And they were pleading their cases for ascending off. The referee ended up using video review. Looked at it for... A couple of minutes at least, and ultimately determined that it was a yellow card and a free kick because he determined that Dave Romney, Nashville SC's other center back, was close enough to stop Robbie Robinson if need be. Steve, I haven't really spoken to you about your thoughts on this one, so I don't know if we agree, disagree, what what our thoughts are here or what your thoughts are here. So let me know and let the people know. What did you think? Was that did you think that was denial of a clear goal scoring opportunity and a red card? Or do you think yellow card was was the right call? Well, I just fact, I, the fact that Dave Romney, the, the Nashville defender, was coming round the back. He, you know, he wasn't the last man. Zimmerman wasn't the last man. Yes, it was a foul. And if Rom, if Romney wasn't there and Rob Wilson was going through, yes, it would have been a, a free kick and, a, and it also would have been a sending off. But um, I guess he just got tangled with him. He wasn't the last man. And I guess yeah, that was the that was the right call. So I disagree with you. Surprisingly. Um, I thought it was. I thought it was a red card. I thought it was a red card. I actually told Phil Neville that after the game, when we had our post game press conference, I asked him what he thought about it. And just like on this show, very similarly, like on this show, the Englishman disagreed with me. And this is what he had to say about the decision. You know what? I said to the fourth official maybe five minutes after, and I said, "Look, tell the referee great decision. I think he made the right decision. And I know it was tight." I think Romney was just coming round. It, it, it was so tight. You went and you see him go over to the screen and have a look. And and ultimately, I think if it was us and it was Leandro covering round and Ryan, and so, you know, we'd probably want that same decision in terms of sort of like giving the benefits of the doubt to the defender. The defender was covering round. Obviously, at the time, I wanted him sent off. <laughs> that that's what it goes without saying. But uh, I thought the referee got that decision spot on. Okay, so Phil Neville thinks that it was not ascending off it was not denial of a clear goal scoring opportunity you agree with him I still do not agree with that I think 
I saw on the initial viewing, I thought on the initial time seeing the play, I thought it was a red card and denial of a goal scoring opportunity. On the replays that ESPN had on its broadcast, I thought the exact same thing. Yes, Dave Romney is in proximity, but he is behind the play. And I don't think he catches Robbie Robinson if not for Walker Zimmerman's tug. I don't think he's going to get there. Robbie Robinson maybe could have taken a bad touch that slows him down or this or that. But I don't think Dave Romney gets there. That's just my opinion. That's just my thoughts. I thought it should have been a red card. And look, if you look at the play again and you or you watch the, the broadcast or even the highlights, go on Miami Total Football's YouTube page and look at the highlights. Immediately after the referee blows the whistle and you see him jogging over to the point of the foul, he his hand goes towards his back pocket. He thought red card initially. Now, at some point between before he gets to Walker Zimmerman and Robbie Robinson who are on the ground, he looks over to the side really quickly and then in that split moment, he changes his mind and reaches for the, the card in his front pocket on his shirt. Yellow card. So... He even thought it could have been a red card. And it was tight. It was tight. So I'm not going to say if you think it's a yellow, you're completely wrong. But I thought I thought it was a red card. No, I don't think it was. I mean, you know, in the heat of the moment, I guess the ref saw it. Maybe he didn't see Romney coming round or, or whatever. But I think if, the, if, if Zimmerman was been the last man, he would have pulled him down. He would have been sent off. Romney was there. He could have covered if Robinson would have... Uh, escape the clutches of uh, Zimmerman and then and then move forward. So I, I just yeah, it's not it's not a red card for me. It's definitely it's definitely a free kick. That's it. Well, on that one replay that ESPN did when they did the slow mo and they did the, the still image, to me it didn't look like Rob like Romney could get there. That's just again to me. I don't think he would close down that space fast enough. But we'll, we'll leave it there. Again, you know we have different differing opinions. Agree to disagree on that. Variety is the spice of life. (laughs) Well, let's see if we have variety here. Because there was another talking point in this match involving Robbie Robinson, who, as we mentioned before, did not start in this game because of the hamstring tweak that he suffered against the Philadelphia Union in Week 2. He comes off the bench in the 67th minute of this one, three minutes before this controversial play that we just talked about. And he only lasted 12 minutes because... In the 76th, 77th, and he came out in the 79th, he pulls his hamstring yet again, same exact hamstring, on a very similar play, a darting, dribbling run down the left flank that he tries to cut back on, and then he just feels it, passes the ball away, and he goes to the ground. Very similar, very similar image to what we saw against the Philadelphia Union. Now, Phil Neville said after the game, that Robbie Robinson checked off all the boxes to be cleared to play. The medical staff cleared him. Robbie Robinson himself said he wanted to play. Hindsight is twenty twenty, But did you think it was a risk to use Robbie Robinson in this match? Yes, I guess it was a risk because he was already injured. Um, but, you know, like you said, I think that in his other quotes, Phil Neville was sort of saying he's a young kid. You know, he's probably saying to him, I'm ready, I'm fine, I'm fine. Only the player knows. Only the player knows. You can do a lot number tests. Only the player really knows. And obviously he could run around. It's not as if he'd broken his leg. I mean, but he'd been injured. Only the player knows. And, you know, he's... And Phil Neville was saying that maybe a player with a bit more experience, an older head, may have listened to his body more. Was, well, you know, he's a player, he's a young kid. Let, let's listen to what... Phil Noble said after the game, some of what Phil Noble said after the game about 
Robbie Robinson over the course of the week and heading into the match against Nashville SC? We didn't push him. We didn't push him. We we, we, we left him to train with the team the last three three days. We did some modifications. Uh, we, we spoke to him every day. The physios did great work with him. The fitness coaches did great work with him. We, we, we brought him on because he wanted to train. We, we brought him to Nashville because we wanted him to travel. And then the boy wanted to play. Uh, and we had all the evidence to suggest that he was fully fit. So and, that, and that's all you do. I think with young players, sometimes they don't know their, their own bodies. They don't know what pain is or they don't know what tightness is. You know, I think that comes with experience. You think about the durability and that, that Blaise Matuidi has developed over the last 10, 15 years. He knows his own body. Robbie doesn't. So, so he's still developing that. He's a, he's a very, very young 22-year-old who's still learning about professional football and behaviours of professional football and elite performance and about how to prepare your body and, and we're working every single day with him and he's, he's disappointed tonight obviously uh, you know but it, it's it's we ticked every box we did the due diligence and you know it was just one of those things okay Steve while I understand Phil's point and your point that Robbie Robinson should or has to learn to listen to his body. I still don't entirely agree with that assessment because at the end of the day, that's what the head coach and the medical staff are for. It's to assess the player, take everything into consideration, and make a decision because players want to play. Players always want to play, or almost always want to play. You see players even, you know, even before things got really strict with concussions and the concussion protocol that players would go back in because they feel like they can play or they want to play. And that's not necessarily always the case or not the best case scenario for them. So Robbie Robinson could have said, hey, I want to play. But Phil Neville said... Uh, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. He could also have said, you know what, Phil? I, I'm, I, I'm okay. Don't start me, but put me on in the second half for, th- for half an hour and see what I can do. I mean, that, that's fair enough, isn't it? I mean, I mean, he could say that, but again... Phil Neville needs to take into consideration the bigger picture. And like he said, like we just heard him say... Yeah, but he's seen him train. He's seen him train all week. Correct, but he even said it. He said, we've given him modifications. We gave him modifications in training. So if they're giving him modifications, he's not 100% healthy. Because you don't give someone that's 100% healthy modifications during training. They just take part in full training like everybody else yeah, and they don't have any injury. He could be doing different things. I mean, you know, it's, it's, you know don't, don't look too deeply into it. I don't know, man. I, I I think they took a risk. I think they gambled, and it's a risk. Came, it's a gamble, and, and it yeah. came back to and it came back to hurt them because now I mean, Robbie Robinson could miss the next game, could miss the next few games. We, we we don't know. We still don't have that information. It's only Monday, but I think they took a risk there that they shouldn't have. Now I get that they were shorthanded and they had a dearth of attacking options, and maybe that came into play. Although I asked Phil Neville that, and he said, "Look, we did not push him," but I I mean they they. They probably should not have played him in this one, man. They probably should not have played him in this one because now now they lose potentially potentially lose a starter for several weeks, and that's not what you need if you're inter Miami. Just as you're starting to find your rhythm and your preseason, you know, shaking off the preseason rust. Now you're going to have an injury to one of your attacking starters who had been showing some things in the first few games of the season potentially. So. I don't know. I, I, I don't think that they should have played him. I, you know, I, I wrote that on my piece for SBI Soccer, and I, I stick to that. I just don't think that they should have, they should have risked that. It's a risk. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, in, in retrospect, in, when he's thinking here now, when he tunes to the podcast tomorrow, and he's thinking, yeah, you know, maybe I don't know. In retrospect, it, it, you know, it seems, uh, you know, it seems hindsight is a, is a wonderful thing. But you know, he made that call, and like you say, probably said, "Give me half an hour." It was nil nil. We didn't have many other attacking options. He was great, the, you know, the week before, or certainly the opening get, opening day. You know, he went he went for it. And it didn't work this time. But let's let's see how um, let's see how badly he's injured first before um, you know would would seem decide definitely definitely if it's a bad decision or not. Right now it's in the balance because we don't know. I mean, well, if you have to t- if you have to take out a substitute that you put into the game, I mean, that's a sign that it's probably not a good decision. But anyway, let's quickly shift gears to any other positives that you took away from this match. I'll start here. I thought Brexit had a very good game off the bench in the second half he replaced Jovan Jones at halftime at left back and I thought he was as good defensively and better in the attack because he got forward more he tried to play more forward passes that broke lines down the flank to Edison Ascona who came in at the left midfield spot for Jay Chapman I like what I saw from Breck Shea he's also I mean you know this was just a, a hopeful clearance just smashing the ball upfield, but he's also the one that smashed the ball upfield that led to that controversial play with Robbie Robinson and Walker Zimmerman. So I liked what I saw from Breck Shea. I think he made a case for more minutes, potentially a start or more starts or starts in the future, especially when Phil Neville says after the game that Jovan Jones is still working his way up to full fitness. That's something I think we've talked about on this pod in recent weeks because Jovan Jones has been subbed out of every game so far this year this one was the earliest point he's been subbed out this was at halftime so if you can get this out of Breck Shea over the course of 90 minutes I don't see why you don't start him going forward given that Joven Jones is not there yet Joven Jones is still working his way up there but that's just what I thought I don't know if you had somebody else that impressed you or if you agree with that or disagree with that uh, yeah, no, I've always liked Breg Shea. You know, he's, he's he's got energy about him, isn't he? He gets up and down, uh, experienced campaigner. You know, that, that accounts for a lot. So I think, you know, we could be seeing to be u- using him a bit more. He, he was injured, wasn't he? Or there's something up with him. We don't know if it was COVID-related or whatever. Um, but, you know, he hasn't really been training fully with the squad for was missing, if I remember correctly. Um, so, yeah, it'd be good to have him back. And, of course, you know, the whole club were pleased with Edison Ascona becoming the first, you know, mm-hmm. Inter-Miami Academy player to play for the first team so you know they were not that that was the the message was it to be on brand about you know uh, David and the academy and how important it is and that is true so it's you know that's that was a nice moment for, for him and for his family and I guess for the club as well so uh you know it's always good to see young young kids coming through yeah milestone for Inter Miami and for Edison Ascona who makes his MLS debut obviously he had made his professional debut already with the Dominican national team and with Fort Lauderdale CF Last year, but like you said, very notable that the first academy player, the first homegrown player, has now appeared and made an appearance for the first team. That's something Phil Neville said in his introductory press conference that was going to be one of his goals for the years to get one of these local kids, local players onto the field. And that was one of his challenges, and he's accomplished that three games in. Now, there's Have I ever told you about the class of '92? Um, <laughs> Gary, Paul, Ryan. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure. One day about it. I'll tell you about it. I'm pretty sure I named one podcast one week "Class of '92 South Florida Style" or Miami Edition, something, something along those lines. Because let's reboot it. Come yeah. on, let's reboot it. <laughs> Edison Ascona sort of feel to it. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, 
let's quickly touch on his performance and then we can wrap up this segment because look, there's a lot of hype behind Ascona locally. There's a lot of fan fervor. And you know, he is 17. Phil Neville has talked highly of him and what he can be if he puts in the work. But let's talk about his performance here. He came into a game, tough game. I thought his performance, he showed some good things on the ball because, you know, he is that type of player. He is crafty on the ball. Diminutive, but crafty. Thought he showed some good things on the ball, but overall, a very uneventful and tame debut for him. You imagine that he'll have much better performances going forward. But, again, I mean, I'm just saying this because I know there's a lot of fans out there that want to see more of him, and, you know, some are even saying he should start in this game. I think physically he's not there yet. I don't think he's going. To, I don't think he's ready to start in an MLS game. I think he can play and give you some minutes off the bench like he did in this one, but I don't think he's there physically. I think you saw it on a few plays, especially one where he received the ball at the top of the box and was easily bumped off. Again, he's smaller, but he's still a teenager. So as he gets a little bit older and he puts on a little bit more muscle and he gains a little more experience, he'll be able to figure out how to hold off defenders and, and better use what he has to create stuff for himself because I still thought physically he did not look entirely ready, which is understandable given his age. And I think that's why we need to pump the brakes a little bit on on Ascona, but that's just my opinion. Yeah, I mean, yeah, young kid. They clearly think he's ready, he's good enough to um, to make the jump up. Um, yeah, and physically, that's it. He's only 17. So, you know, take you, you change a lot uh, from 17 to, uh, you know, to when you, you become... Into twenty, so he's got he's sort of got a lot of sort of growing into doing, and physically, I guess, he have to fill out a bit. But they clearly think he's a good player. Yeah, no, I, look, I think I think he's got some very good starting points. But like I think has been hinted a couple of times by Phil and you know other things I've heard around the club. It's about keeping him focused on the work because as we've seen in numerous other examples throughout the world of soccer, the world of football, the world of football. There's plenty of players that have promise at a young age and they can get distracted by everything that comes. A lot of things come very quickly at them in terms of media attention, you know, outside attention. Will he become into Miami's Freddie Adu? That is the question. Well, look, I'm not going that far. But I, I, I have, you know, I think Phil said, you know, if he, if he works hard, if he continues working hard, that is the key, is him working hard, not letting the hype or the outside noise distract him from what he needs to do on the day-to-day because we've seen it we've seen it with numerous players you could look back to Inter Miami's team last year they had such a case with Juan Agudelo a player who is an MLS veteran you know he's carved out a decent career but he never reached the heights that many expected of him when he first came onto the scene as a very talented and technical attacker in his teens so we'll leave it there we'll take a short break we'll come back and we'll preview this weekend's Game against Atlanta United at Drive Pink Stadium. I've got to say, I think it was a big moment for the club, for for the ownership, uh, for the academy, for the whole club in terms of putting a homegrown player onto the pitch. I think we said it when we first came. I think in the first press conference, David spoke about how important that that is for Inter Miami Football Club. Producing their own players, players that we've produced, players that we've coached. And, uh, and, and I thought that was a big moment. Okay, Primo, Inter Miami is shifting gears and putting their focus into this weekend's match. It's a Mother's Day matinee against Atlanta United at 1 p.m. at Drive Pink Stadium in lovely Fort Lauderdale, Florida. 
Inter-Miami heads into this one, like you said earlier, with four points out of six in two road games, returns home. It'll have fans in the stands. Again, it's limited to about 8,000 seating capacity. For now, you expect it to be close to that again. But as for the actual match, what do you expect from Atlanta United? A team that is going to be playing in the CONCACAF Champions League Tuesday night. We're recording this on Monday. So Tuesday night, Atlanta United is playing the Philadelphia Union in the second leg of their quarterfinals series. Atlanta United is down 3-0. They rested a bunch of starters over the weekend in a 2-1 loss at the New England Revolution. So you would expect that they're going to go for it in this one. They're not going to rest their starters in this CCL match. They're going to try to turn the, the leg around or turn the tie around. So they should come into the weekend a bit tired. Yeah, they should. I mean, you know, they've they've already played seven games uh, this season if you take into account the game on, on Tuesday night in Philadelphia. So, um, yeah, you know, they've... One way you can look at it, they also had a, they had a probably a proper preseason, and then you know straight straight into it. So they they're certainly going to be fitter, I would have thought. But then you, you've got the fatigue factor as well, isn't it? Cramming into so so many games, squads aren't on massive, are they? You know, so he, he, Heinzet, former um, former Man United fullback, just like Phil Neville. There you go. Um, you know, he's going to have to shuffle his pack a bit. So he should, you know. It should be it should be interesting to see how they shape off after Tuesday. Like you say, they're gonna they're gonna have to go for it, um, you know, big time, being being three three down. It's gonna be a tough match for them on Tuesday. It's gonna be a surely physically draining and taxing match. So I would expect Inter Miami, if there's still if there's still fitness issues for the Herons, I think they kind of will be offset by the fatigue that Atlanta United will have entering this one. Whereas Inter Miami doesn't have a midweek game, so Inter Miami should enter this one rested even if they're not at full fitness or some players are not at full fitness. So that's something that should help enter Miami. Now, especially if, you know, Atlanta United loses and, you know, they're going into the game with frustration or disappointment and coming off of that. If they win, you know, they might be coming off a, an emotional high or if they're able to turn this around. It's a pretty big challenge for them down 3-0 after losing in Atlanta 3-0 last week. Now, Atlanta United, like you mentioned, has a new head coach in Gabriel Hainsett. Did a great job down in Argentina before he arrived at Atlanta United. The early results have been mixed. They obviously won their round of 16 series against Alajuelense, Costa Rican side. They tied Orlando City in the season opener. Then they beat the Chicago Fire 3-1. to And then that's before they lost to the Philadelphia Union in the CCL first leg last week. And then, again, that defeat to New England over the weekend. So, bit of a mixed bag there for Haynes in his initial days. I would expect, even with the fatigue, I would expect Atlanta United to put up a tough matchup, especially if Joseph Martinez gets the start. He's back in the mix, the lethal striker that had set the goal-scoring record a few seasons ago. That record has since been beaten by Carlos Vela, but doesn't take away from Joseph Martinez's nose for goal. He's lethal, dangerous. Ryan Shawcross and Leandro gonzalez Pires will have their hands full. You imagine they start again, given that Nicolas Figal picked up a hamstring tweak. So Barco as well. Barco is a good player, isn't he? Yeah, Barco's a good player. But I think Joseph Martinez is the one you got to really clamp down on and really try to limit his his impact because he can be so lethal and he can get away with you, away from you so quickly. He can hurt you in so many ways. So many ways. That's what's made him so impactful and effective in Major League Soccer. So a very tough task for Ryan Shawcross and Leandro Gonzalez-Pires. That, to me, is one of the keys to the match. 
Do you have another key to the match? Anything else you, you're looking for for Inter Miami in this one? Well, I mean, that's it. You know, it's just it's going to depend on who they're going to have to like bring back. You know, we're, we're sort of led to believe the Iguains potentially could be available, right? Um, so he'll have those guys at his disposal. Um, but then let's see what happens with how the injuries sort of shape up in the next, you know, week, you know, for the next few days. Because I mean, um, you know, uh, it's only it's only a few days since since the match, and but then still some time to go. So let's let's see how they how they shape up. I will say, look, last. Last week on the pod, I said I thought against Nashville, width would be important. I thought it was because, it, especially in those first 10, 15 minutes where Inter Miami was the better side, they created two good opportunities and they both came off of crosses from the outside. First from Jay Chapman to Lewis Morgan, and then Lewis Morgan returning the favor with a cross to Jay Chapman. Both plays finished with good saves from Joe Willis, Nashville SC's goalkeeper. In this one, I think. Inter Miami needs to do a better job with the ball. They're in their fourth game of the season. They are able to press a little bit more now. Of course, the absences and who's available, who's not, comes into consideration. We'll find out more details as the week progresses and as we're able to talk to Phil Neville and the players and go to training. But again, I think they need to have more of the ball in order to really limit the impact that... Atlanta United can have in this game, especially with Joseph Martinez. Again, the center backs have to do their part and do their job, but I think if you have the ball, well, Joseph Martinez can't really hurt you because Atlanta United doesn't have the ball, right? So I think winning some more possession, I don't know if they have to win the possession battle. I don't it's know. If gonna be, it's also it's a one o'clock kickoff. It's going to be very, very hot. Yeah. So they're not going to do much pressing. And who knows? Maybe Mikey Ambrose will return and haunt into Miami. Who knows? <laughs> Well, he did score a golazo in his last game at Inter-Miami CF Stadium, now known as Drive Pink Stadium. So, you know, maybe. But what a goal. Yeah, it was a great goal. It was a great, helped Inter-Miami get into the playoffs. But, like, again, for me, possession is important. Blaise Matuidi's coming off a not-so-good game. I didn't think he played very well, all things considered, especially for a DP. I, I You know, honestly, and I, you know, I'm going to go on a quick side rant. I think he needs to raise his level, man. I think for a DP midfielder, I haven't seen enough from him yet. I, I Defensively, he leaves a lot to be desired, in my opinion. Never really tight on his marks. Even, again, when Inter-Miami had some bad moments defensively or they gave up some stuff defensively, Matuidi was involved. There was that one play with Heidi Mukhtar that I mentioned a while ago. And, you know, you saw on the broadcast right before they cut to the replays, Leandro gonzalez Pires and Blaise Matuidi having an exchange of words because... I'm sure Leandro Salas-Pires wasn't too happy with Blaise Matuidi not tracking or not picking up Hani Mukhtar until too late. You know, he didn't recognize or put in the urgency until it was too late. And that could have led to a goal. And I think that's something that Blaise Matuidi needs to improve because I just haven't seen enough from him. Even on even in the, on the on the attacking side and passing, some games he's done well, some games he's been not so good. It's been hit and miss. I think he needs to have a bounce back game. I think he needs to show that he's a DP caliber player because he is a DP on this team. So he needs to raise his level, in my opinion. I think Gregory brings what he brings you, tough, hard nose in the middle, but I think Blaise Matuidi needs to give you more. Yeah, I mean, that's the same could be said for, for all the DPs. We're not gonna, we haven't touched on our friend Rodolfo today. <laughs> Pina, Pinata time? Pinata time? Leave him alone, leave him alone. We'll talk about him next week. Um, and yeah, question marks over Higuain, even though we know that he's influential and he's a great player and all that sort of stuff. So 
yeah, same, same sort of conversation as last week, really. DPs need to deliver. Okay, Steve, this is one of my favorite parts of the pod, and obviously it's tougher for us to predict because we're on Monday at the start of the week, but any lineup changes that you see or that you would make for this weekend against Atlanta United? Well, I, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the Iguains will both come into contention, will they not? So we don't know. I would imagine that they do return, but we we don't know. I would imagine that they do, though. So let's let's yes. let's operate on the basis that they're that they're back. And let's... I think both I think both of them both of them may come in. Maybe Bizarro will drop out, and then um, we'll have to to see what's what's up with Robbie Robinson. We probably think he's not going to start. Maybe Brexhay will come in for for um, Joven Jones potentially. Um, you know, he's got a few options there, I guess. So he he, he can mix it up. Again, everything will depend on what how they they shape up in um, you know the first few days of the week. I'm gonna say that you see the same back four minus Jovan Jones. I think Breck Shea gets the start at the left back spot. Shot crossing Gonzalez Peters in the middle, Leardam on the right, and John McCarthy obviously in goal. I think you get Matuidi and Gregori in the middle in that double pivot. Lewis Morgan on the right wing. I think Rodolfo Pizarro goes back to his ten spot. The question mark, again, is going to be on that left mid-spot. And then, you know, I would think Gonzalo Higuain, if he's available, starts up top. If he's not, Julian Carranza should probably, I would imagine, is over his virus and can start up top. But that's just me speculating here on Monday. That left midfield spot is the big question mark, again, for me. Jay Chapman didn't look particularly good in this one. He started well, started very strong against Nashville SC. Again, he was involved in two of Inter Miami's most dangerous plays in the entire over the course of the entire ninety minutes early on, but he faded very hard in my opinion, and he's just not a left midfielder. So, who do you put there? Jovan Jones could be a possibility, especially since Inter Miami has been subbing him out of games. You know, you could make a sub at halftime, put somebody else on. Maybe Josh Penn is another option. Of course, Edison Ascona is probably in the running, but again, I don't think he's ready to start in an MLS game. Do you? Do you have any? Any sense of who you would put out there, or who do you, you know who do you think Phil would put out there? Same yeah, question I asked you last week. I know, I don't know. Yeah, I do. I do like Breck Shea. I just think he gets up and down the sort of you know the the flank, the wing, really you know really well. He's, he's energetic. I mean, if they can, it depends how fit he is. You know, I, we don't really know, do we? But maybe that could be an option, and certainly could help defensively as well. So you would put him in at left mid, and then who do you play at left back? Just Jovan Jones? You leave him there. Uh, again, yeah, maybe maybe stick stick with Jovan Jones for now. Um, he's done okay, isn't he? Not 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 brilliant. He has faded, but maybe his fitness will pick up. And uh, you know, as he's getting more used to the the conditions, it's sort of like we keep saying the same thing. It's going to be super hot as well. So, and uh, you know, we went on last time about how you know he didn't make make the changes, irrespective of the heat and all this sort of stuff. So you know, he could Phil never could make sort of changes earlier just to combat it because it's going to be hot. Uh, so you're going Shea at left mid, Jones at left back. I'm going the opposite, although, again, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Jay Chapman out there for the second straight game, second and a half if you include the half against the Philadelphia Union. But, of course, that's depending on Robbie Robinson's health, which we still do not know much about as of right now. But we'll leave it there. We're going to go into another break, and we'll come back to do our Q&A session and our final thoughts after this. It's Q&A time. 
We've got quite a few questions, especially since, like I said, at the beginning of the show, we're going to answer some of the ones that came in at the end of last week, after we recorded last week. So let's start here from the Romandalorian. If I were Neville, I'd have some concerns about the partnership of Gonzalo Higuain and Pizarro. I don't think there's anything personal there, but they are not on the same page. It's not a question, more of an observation, but let's let's comment on that. What do you think? And, you know, I know I give you stick for hammering away at Rodolfo Pizarro, but look, I didn't think he had a game this weekend. I, I agree that he needs to raise his level. But, you know, what do you think about the understanding with Gonzalo Higuain? We saw it a little bit, didn't we, in, in the opening game, and it sort of flipped in and out, and then you know, it it didn't work in the, in the game after that. So uh, yeah, we'll just have to see again. A, a, you know, a work in progress. Although they have played together since you know, the back end of you know last summer, so you would you would want on paper it looks like a great partnership. It just hasn't really hasn't really clicked yet, has it? Yeah, I think you know, and I think this goes back to the point of Gonzalo Higuain dropping deep and Rodolfo Pizarro not being a true number ten. I think. There's something to that, and I, I kind of agree with the observation from the Romandalorian that they don't seem to be on the same page, and that doesn't that doesn't mean that they don't get along off the field or you know they have issues off the field, but on the field it doesn't seem like they click all that well because it just I don't know I just don't, you don't see them combining and connecting all that much or not as much as you would want from two of your three DPs so. That's something that has to be figured out for Inter Miami going forward, starting with this weekend, if both are available and able to play. Next question comes from Sebastian Delgado, and this was, again, last week's question, but do you think Robbie is going to be an influence for good this season, and do you think he could turn into a star later in his future? Where do you see him in five years? Where do I see him in five years? Where will any any of us be in five years? Who knows? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, look, they, he's also young, and, and they... I just think it's a it's a sort of show of faith by by Phil Neville that you know he, he likes him he's talked him up in the in the press to us fair enough he delivered in the first game and he's, he's a young he's a young guy um, so yeah we we'll just have just just have to wait and see but he's definitely definitely improved from what we saw from last season right I think again they're using him in a better spot this year that plays better better to his strength that's one criticism I had of Diego Alonso last year that he not didn't necessarily put players always in positions that best suited them so. I think, again, for me, they're putting him in a spot that is better for what he can do. Because I don't think he's the most technical guy, so I don't think he can really be a number nine on a regular basis at an MLS level. So I think he's more of a winger, still learning the position, as we've said throughout the last few weeks on this pod. I think you'll see him play out there. I think he'll be a serviceable player. He is young. He has some good starting points. But I think his lack of... Technical skills will limit where his ceiling can be in MLS. So I could see him being a serviceable starter on an MLS team, be it Inter Miami or someone else, five years from now. I could also see him being more of a spot duty player. Just depends on how he develops. But you know, I think MLS will be where he spends the bulk of his career. I could be wrong. I'm not a scout, but that's just what I what I see with my eyes as of today. Next question comes from Roger T. What is taking MLS so long to announce our sanctions? It is like a dark cloud hanging over the team. Just announce it so we can take our lumps now. I forgot about that. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for reminding us. No, look, the Miami Herald reported last week that something will be announced this week. 
the week we're in right now. Even when we spoke to Don Garber, who one breath said what a wonderful stadium it was, the second breath said, but you're going to get punished, and it's going to be this week. And that was that seems like a long time ago. That was the opening day of the season, April 18th. So we're now on 3rd of, March, 3rd of May. May the 4th be with you is tomorrow. So are you, by the way, are you dressing up? Are you getting your Star Wars gear? I know you're a Star Wars guy, right? Yeah, I do love a bit of Star Wars. Yeah, I'm going to be dressed as Yoda all day. Nice, uh, nice. Yeah. Me and my ex-girlfriend in, in New York one year, we dressed up as... She was Yoda, and I was Luke Skywalker, and, you know, when they're in the Dagobah system, and she, like, jumped on my back, and we took a cool picture. It was actually, actually a really funny costume. I bought a, a plastic uh, lightsaber as well. It's really, really funny. Anyway, let's get back, to the, let's get back to, the, to the football. Next question comes from Lucho Lalo. And he said, again, this is another one from last week. When will Georgia Costa and Ascona get a chance to play? I want dubs, wins, but I also want to see what they've got. Also, what is your take on our rivalries? My number one team I hate as an Inter-Miami fan is Orlando. They seem to hate us as well. Is the rivalry growing or is it just me? So we saw Ascona make his debut. Acosta has been playing with Fort Lauderdale CF. Probably will spend most, if not all, of the season with them. Don't think he's ready to make that jump. I think we will see more of Ascona, like I said earlier, over the course of the season, but I think it'll just mostly be spot duty off the bench. Still needs to grow physically into the game and just fill out like like Steve said earlier on the pod. Just on the on the rivalries, good to try and find someone to hate. I mean, that that's what it's all about. Not hate in a nasty way, but just, yeah, I think Orlando, I think, is, the, uh, is a good... Is a good rival to have. Nice little day trip as well. The shortest day trip we could we could possibly have. Just a, a nice three hour drive, and and you're there. So yeah, why not? Yeah, I would agree that. By and far. they've got great fans as well, haven't they? Orlando got 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 also got a great fan base. Yeah, very passionate fan base. I covered them quite a bit when they were the only MLS team in Florida. I went to their first MLS game. I've covered them. I was there? Yeah. I was there. So we were both there, and we didn't even know it. We didn't even have the Miami Total Football bromance yet, but. Look, I think Orlando is the number one rivalry, and it's by far the number one rival. I think maybe Atlanta or maybe Nashville could maybe be in consideration, but I don't, you know. It's I, too I, far, I, yeah, it's, it's too far. It's too far. Orlando's a, a local. Yeah, yeah for sure. For sure. And that's it. For sure. No, Orlando by far is the rival. There's the only two teams in MLS in Florida, so there's that geographic proximity and the desire to want to have bragging rights in the state. I think you've seen it with fans on social media and even at the games, there's been some tension. So not bad blood, maybe bad bad blood, but some tension. So I think that's by far the the number one rivalry. I think it'll continue to grow. I think, you know, once you get games now with fans in the stadium from both sides on a more consistent basis, that's going to ramp things up. We saw that, I know and I know you saw this as well. During our years in New York, once New York City FC came on board and the New York Red Bulls had a crosstown rival, and that that definitely took on brilliant, yeah, brilliant tifos. Was it the first, the brilliant tifos with a, <laughs> yes. a pillow and Lampard with walking sticks? That was brilliant. Yes, uh, that was that was great. I'm glad you reminded me of that. Obviously, I hadn't forgotten about that, but you know, it's not awesome. at the front of my memory. But that was great that they were able to, you know, the Red Bulls were able to, Red Bull fans were able to to do that. Next question, but just also just on the rivalry, I don't also, I'm not going to forget Miami FC. You know, who are still there. And, you know, they won the other night. They won their first game. Paco Craig, English guy, um, scored, scored, scored early on. Um, so I just, once we get, hopefully, this pandemic, you know, we return to some sort of normalcy, you know, it'd be good to see, you know, Miami as well. Miami FC doing doing well and, and, and just sort of, get, you know, building, building their own fan base. So I think that's a cool thing to have two teams in the city as well. Next question comes from Gabe P. And now we're on this week's questions. So 
we're switching gears now, but still questions. KP asks, I don't understand why he keeps playing Chapman out of position instead of using either our attacking players we have. With what we saw of Ascona, do you see him playing a bigger part of the minutes this season? Penn seems like a good player to get minutes this season, too. So we've touched on this quite a bit. Steve, you could start here about that left mid spot. Yeah, I mean, I think he's just he's having to assess all options. Remember, these aren't he hasn't had a sort of lot of games to try and see which things work. Maybe he's seen Jay, things in Jay Chapman and think, yeah, he could make it. We're only judging him really off off one game. I mean, it's it's very very difficult. Yeah, they, they did play a couple of preseason matches, so I just think it's a work in progress right now. He's just trying to figure out exactly what who fits where, and he hasn't had the time to do that. So I think reserve judgment for for a few weeks anyway. Yeah, I don't know what he necessarily sees in Chapman out there on the left, unless it's just, you know, defensive solidity and just defensive cover for that left flank because he hasn't looked particularly good over the course of the three halves that he's played or much of the three halves that he's played at that spot. He's more of a central player, so he's playing out of position. Again, he did have some good moments at the start, of this game against Nashville SC, but then he faded hard and just never really found the game. So I would maybe think that he looks at somebody else this weekend, someone like Jovan Jones there, and again, Breck Shea at left back, but that's just what I think. Maybe Phil Neville sticks with him. Maybe he saw enough defensively or sees enough from a tactical standpoint that he keeps him keeps him out there. That's you know that's the only explanation I, I could think because I don't think we've seen enough from him with the ball at that spot to to really say he's made that spot his own or, or impressed in that spot. Next question, and this is a very interesting question, and I do want to talk about this maybe a little bit more at length than we did the last one. The last ones comes from Fighting Herons. Will Pellegrini play with Fort Lauderdale CF at all, or will he just sit out until a summer transfer? I would imagine playing in games would help increase his stock more than sitting out, considering his last season was not that good. Steve? Well, I mean, that was that's the plan, isn't it? We don't know what his sort of fitness um, status is is right now, but unless unless you know any different, um, and that, that's that was what we were told to believe. And um, you know, I, he, he he probably wants to move away. He probably wants he's got to say so he's got to be playing if he's scoring for for Fort Lauderdale in the USL. He's scoring loads of goals, and you know, he, he's still an MLS quality player, so he, he can get a move. But I guess he needs to keep active. I mean, I, was, I would have thought so, I, I, unless unless you're any different. So. Every weekend I've looked at Fort Lauderdale CF's scores and lineups because usually because usually they play around the same time Inter Miami does or on the same night, so hard to watch both games in the same night. Now if they play on different nights, easier. But I've looked at the score lines, I've looked at the scoreboard to see you know when he makes his debut for the team, and he has not played for the team over the past three weekends, including this past weekend. And thinking about it more, once I've looked at this question, once it came in before the show started. I don't think it's in Pellegrini's best interest to play for Fort Lauderdale CF. And I think that's why he's not playing, he's not dressing, and I don't think he will play or he will dress for Fort Lauderdale CF. Because it's not in his best interest, in my opinion. He's a player that has that DP label. For better or for worse, he has that DP label in in MLS. So if he plays in the USL level, people are just going to naturally expect him, despite his age, despite him still being fairly young, they're going to expect that he tears it up in that league. And if he doesn't, well, then he is going to be labeled uh, an X player, the X and this, this and that. He's bad. He's terrible. Can't even do it in USL. I think it would hurt his stock. I think he has more to lose in USL than he has 
to gain. Yes, he could keep himself sharper, probably more fitter, or sorry, probably more fit playing games on a weekly basis, but I think, you know, his agent probably is like, we're not going to have you play there. It's not in your best interest. It he's got to play. Though. He's got to play somewhere, isn't he, to keep... But to he's, keep. Gonna, he's, he's, he's as good as gone, man. He's as good as gone. Once the summer comes, if someone hits a number figure that Inter Miami's looking for, he's as good as gone. I would imagine he's as good as gone. I don't. He's not going to stay here the rest of the year and just just not play. I, I agree he needs to play, but I don't think he's going to play for Fort Lauderdale because, again, I think his agent would sit there and be like, we're not having you play for this team because it can hurt your transfer fee. It can hurt your salary for the next move if you don't play well. And you're going to be playing with players of a lower caliber, a lower quality, so you're not going to be surrounded with as talented players. So it could very much hurt your stock and hurt your prospects for the future. So I don't expect us to see Matias Pellegrini play for for, for Lauderdale CF unless Inter Miami twists his arm and makes him, which I can't imagine that they do uh, at this point. No, I mean, it, well, like you say, it's all going to come down to his future now and what where that where that where that lies. So we'll, maybe we'll have to do some digging in the next uh, next few weeks to see exactly what the case is. But just on a purely human level, you know, he's a young kid, came over, good move for him. It hasn't worked out for no fault of his own because of stuff we've already talked about. And so you know, it's 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 a shame. You know, he needs to be playing football and and uh, at a level which where he can play, and that is, it's probably he's better than the USL. So I think you know, for all parties, I think it's it's hopefully it's going to be sorted out sooner rather than later because it's going to be no good for him. I won't nitpick your comment too much, but I won't say through no fault of his own. I wouldn't say no fault of his own. He he definitely has some fault in terms of the level of his performance. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. He has been training with Inter Miami's first team, and I imagine he will continue to do so for much of the rest of his time here. Two more questions, Steve. One comes from Eric. Our defense looked good yesterday, but how do you think we will fare against Atlanta's vaunted attack? I write this as Joseph Martinez is still working his way back from an ACL tear from last year. We touched on this earlier. I think Joseph Martinez, even though he's maybe not back to his best, he still has the qualities to really hurt you. So Inter Miami... Shawcross and Gonzalez Pires, they have to keep tabs on him at all times. Keep him in check. Keep him on lock. Communicate often. Don't let him sneak away over the back shoulder and, and get the ball because if he does, he can hurt you and he probably will. So I think Inter Miami, they can keep him in check. I think they can keep the other players in check. There are other talented players in that squad like Ezequiel Barco. So there are players that can hurt you in different ways, but Joseph Martinez, for me, is the guy that makes that team and that attack tick. He's lethal. He's lethal in front of goal, isn't he? Last question. It's not really a question. It's more of a comment. It comes from Villa. Carranza seems to be back in training. And then he responds, I guess, to himself, or maybe he had comments with other people that responded to him. And he said, unfortunately, I don't think he is too high on him as I don't hear Phil talking much about Carranza. Yeah, hasn't, hasn't again, another guy that hasn't really been fit, I guess. Um, but he, he's he's also a player that just we haven't potentially really seen the seen the best of him, seen it in, in fits and spurts, but but not enough. Was, was been highly rated. I think that's why they went for him. So um, again, that's like another another option, which... Could be a new player if he can just get a, get a run of games, which he hasn't really had so far, right? So I, I heard on the ESPN broadcast this week, I'm trying to remember if it was the English one or the Spanish one, but I think it was the English one. I watched each each one at once. 
they said that Phil Neville had told them during their preparation pregame interviews that when Higuain's not around, Robbie Robinson is the next man up at the striker spot. So that means Julian Carranza, based off of that, if that's accurate, Julian Carranza is number three in the striker death chart, which, you know, again, he's part of the previous regime, someone that the previous regime brought on. I have not heard Phil Neville say a whole lot about him, so to this point, he hasn't raved about him. Also hasn't been asked, I don't think, too much about him, but hasn't said a whole lot. So it might be the case that he's not rated that highly and that, hey, maybe his future with this team could be up in the air after this season or maybe as soon as this summer. So we'll see because he hasn't played yet. Obviously, he's had some issues as of late with uh, an illness, again, non-COVID related, according to Phil Neville. So you imagine once he's healthy, he'll be in the mix four minutes, but how many minutes he gets is, is unclear. Steve, that does it for the Q&A session. There's no questions raining in this week like there were last week, or there's no more raining in like there were last week. So final thoughts, and we'll close up after that. Yeah, look, I think, you know, it would have taken, Phil Neville would have taken definitely, you know, first first three games, a defeat, a win and a draw. I think it's been been solid. Now, you know, they're going to have two home games in a row now. Um, so it's going to be, if they can, look, if they can get six points from the next two games, that sets them up really, really well. But um, let's just see how they, how, Who's fit and who's available come uh, come Sunday? Give me a prediction. We didn't we didn't do a prediction. I don't think one nil, one nil, scrappy. Um, plays Matweedy last minute. Redeems redeems himself. <laughs> I think it's gonna take him more than one game to redeem himself. But <laughs> but uh, I'll say one one draw Inter Miami and Atlanta United. I think Inter Miami can win this game, but. I think Joseph Martinez will get one. I think he'll he'll show the savviness and the lethalness that you just mentioned in that final third in the penalty area. He'll get away from Shaw Cross or Gonzalez Pires on one play. It's actually an interesting matchup because Gonzalez Pires is his former teammate, so they all, they'll know each other well. But I think Joseph Martinez will will be able to get one, and I think it'll be a one-one draw. My final thought is Lewis Morgan. He had a performance this past weekend that more resembled what we saw from him last year and he looked more fit something Phil Neville also mentioned and he looked better more willing to go at defenders trying to make things happen in the final third if you can get that Lewis Morgan on a more more consistent basis in 2021 you'll be in much better shape and I imagine that you will because he he has shown that he can consistently be a major threat so keep an eye on him this weekend but that does it for this week's pod. As always, don't forget to follow us on all our social media channels, especially if you want to be in the running for those pink shorts that we're going to give away. We're still not sure on next week's pod how we're going to do it because, like Steve mentioned, there is a midweek game, so we're going to have to manage our minutes like Phil Neville is going to have to manage the players' minutes for that quick turnaround. So me and Steve will figure it out. We'll let you guys know on Twitter and on our social media accounts whether we'll be back on Monday night or after the Montreal game, after the two games have been played in short succession. We'll figure all that out. But enjoy the week, guys. Enjoy this weekend's game. I'll be there. I'll be at the pregame festivities as well to see what you guys are up to and chat and talk some soccer. So that does it for this week's show. We'll see you guys on the next one.